returning to our study of the question, what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible, we were engaged in reviewing the most solemn hours in the world's history, namely those six hours which the Lord Jesus spent on the cross over 1900 years ago. Our Lord had manifested his true deity and had declared his authority by his teachings and by his numerous miracles. He showed to a hardened world of men what true love and compassion was. With the universe of power at his disposal, he nevertheless chose to give his life for the sins of men so that all could be saved. Mankind multiplied its sin by rejecting the Lord of glory and demanding that he be crucified. During the last three hours on the cross, the world was shrouded in darkness, which seemed to be in sympathy with the moral darkness which engulfed the pure heart of the Savior as he bore the sins of the world. At the close of the sixth hours of our Lord's suffering on the cross, as his strength was fast waning away, he appears to have become suddenly aware of his isolation from the sustaining power and strength of the Father. His earthly communion with the Father had been so intimate that he could say, I and my Father are one, as in John 10.30. But now he must suffer the agony of sin with no one to lean upon. He must taste the full meaning of the words, This is your hour and the power of darkness. He had been delivered into the hands of men. But with bowed head and reverential heart, it is sincerely felt from the tenor of Scripture that this hour that his blessed Son was in the hands of the powers of darkness was the worst hour also for the Father and also for the third member of the blessed Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke of the profound fellowship that existed between the members of the Godhead from ages past, as in John 17:5, and expressed the great love of the Father in the words, The Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, in John 5:20, The Bible tells us that the Father is good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy, in Psalm 86, 5, and was moved with compassion, just as Jesus was, as our Lord spoke of in the parable in Matthew 18, here verse 27. So we would naturally be led to believe that when the sun was refused permission to send its sparkling rays of light upon the earth where so dire a scene was taking place, the Father's heart was also darkened in tender sympathy toward the Son, and all the more so because the accumulating and overwhelming disposition of tenderness found no outlet toward his fellow deity who had to bear the sins of the whole world alone. And we read, And a darkness came over the whole earth 
until the ninth hour in Luke 23:44, It would have been a double crime if nature had not sympathized with him. The outer darkness was befitting the inner darkness, which was wearing away the ounces of his strength. And so the Father, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, also spent the most unspeakable hour of his eternal existence. What could the world of rebellious sinners answer against this demonstration of the only independent love that had ever graced the earth from the time of Adam and Eve's calamity? That during this awful hour, the father was tenderly disposed toward his son and not vindictive is evidenced by our Lord's last words on the cross. After the physical anguish of thirst, there came that last burst of strength that characterizes death. In Luke 23:46, we read, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It was a note of victory for the apparently defeated martyr. The cultured religionists whom Jesus said strained at a gnat and swallowed a camel in their blind hypocrisy, nevertheless scoffed out a tremendous truth in the words, He saved others, himself he cannot save, as recorded in Matthew 27:42. But Satan, the archenemy of men's souls, was defeated. The serpent's head was bruised, as was prophesied to Adam and Eve at the dawn of the race as in Genesis 3.15. It is finished, was his cry, as recorded in John 19.30. Death is swallowed up in victory, as the Apostle Paul later asserted, 1 Corinthians 15.54. And now in this greatest moment in the history of man, these last words came forth from the lips who had humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In utmost confidence, he must have looked away from earth's dark scene, through the surrounding clouds, unto the Father, and must have seen a heavenly welcome, much like the martyr Stephen in his faithfulness was later given to see as he looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God as recorded in Acts chapter 7, verse 55. Then the apostle John records, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, or gave up his spirit, as in John 19.30. The writer to the Hebrews tersely summarizes this climax by these words, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. The word taste is a most graphic word and appears in a most graphic structure. It means to experience, have perception of, partake of, perceive the flavor of, feel or make trial of. No more penetrating word could possibly be used. But further, the structure sets forth the action as a climax and emphasizes the inner personal 
relation of the event. Thus our Lord Jesus tasted the always unwelcome separation of his spirit and soul from his body. But he became the author and finisher of our faith, as is recorded in the 12th chapter of Hebrews and verse 2. Then we are told what the secret of his endurance was. For there we read, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. But we also have the glorious heavenly reception of the Father in this same passage. For our Lord Jesus, we are told, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But so long ago David had been given telescopic eyes concerning the destiny of the suffering Savior. He wrote in Psalm 16.10 these words, Neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. And so the mighty power of God came upon the body of Jesus, and a glorious resurrection took place. An angel spoke the factual words, which we read in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 6. How profoundly these must have echoed forth upon the dire circumstances of earth. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And so the sympathetic women who had come so early to the tomb heard these profound words and went forth to announce the glad tidings. After manifesting himself to his disciples for forty days, at one time to above five hundred brethren, at once, we are told in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, while these disciples beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, as you read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. Then took place a greater exaltation than ever with a wonderful, victorious future. These profound words we read in the second chapter of Philippians, verses 9 to 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the wonderful gospel that the Word of God sets forth. Now, as we read in 1 John 2, 2, a propitiation has been made for the sins of the whole world. Now a ransom for all has been made, as we read in 1 Timothy 2, 4-6, and the Holy Spirit can entreat all in great earnestness, to be reconciled to God. Now the servants of the Lord may go forth with the greatest news in all the world, as we read in the 13th chapter of Acts, and verses 38 and 39. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, 
and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. This is indeed a blessed state, even as David experienced on the basis of a future coming Savior. We read in Romans chapter 4 and verse 7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How profound is the experience of the forgiveness of sin. In 1 Peter 3.18 we read, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So now sinners in deep repentance may be brought to God in a living, conscious relationship. Our Heavenly Father, we know that Thou art pleased when we tell forth the death of Thy blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the sins of the whole world. And now we thank Thee that full atonement has been made, and we pray that many may repent of sin, come by faith to the Lord Jesus, find forgiveness, restoration, and a happy life of fellowship. In Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen.